I think, is this my first time preaching here? First time I remember. Okay. I mean, I may have forgotten. The 40s are coming up. You never know. You're going to start forgetting things. Uh, it's really good to be here. And there's so many people in this room that uh, Lisa and I have known. I'm not sure where Lisa is. She might. So did you hear our baby? Praising the Lord. That's what we say, at least. We hope. Um, yeah, it's just good to be here. There's so many of you that we've known for so long, so many memories. We could just go down memory lane and spend our whole time sharing stories and, and things. Obviously, we don't have time for that. Uh, but for those of you who don't know, uh, or at least don't know very well, I am Danny Pierce, as was, uh, as was mentioned. Do you have the family picture that we can put up? Great. Here we are. Uh, so that's, that's me, in case you didn't realize that. Uh, my <laughs> wife, Lisa. Um, some of you met her with the photography fundraiser, was it two weekends ago? Uh, our daughter, Mary, who is eight. Um, Luke, who turned seven about two weeks ago. And that's our little baby, Ruthie, uh, who was, who's six months old. She is huge. She's like the size of a three-year-old, but she's six months and so, uh, and has a set of pipes that she likes to let you know of her existence. And so, uh, so uh, we're just blessed with, with, with uh, I'm a blessed man with this family. Uh, so thankful for them. We also, as you heard, are adopting. Here's our little girl. Uh, her name is Matabo. We call her Maddie. Uh, she is from uh, a little uh, country and in, inside of South Africa called Lesotho. Uh, for the non-Africans in the room, it's Lesotho is how we would, if you saw it spelled, but uh, pronounced Lesotho. Uh, she is about 15 months old, and so uh, still very small. And so uh, we are very excited. Uh, we, we have been planning this and hoping for this and praying for this for a long time. Five years ago, actually, this month is when we first. Uh, took the official steps towards adoption. We had planned on that a while, uh, a while before that, but five years ago this month, and so we, before we knew whether or not the child was born or not, which clearly she wasn't, uh, we had been praying and praying and praying, and many of you in this room have been praying and praying and praying and giving. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, and I want to add one other thing about it. This morning as I was praying and just asking the Lord, what should I share about this adoption? There's so much we could say. Um, and, I, you know, I was thinking uh, there's so much time and energy and money that goes into the adoption process just to complete the adoption, right, so that you, this child will become officially, in the eyes of the government at least, uh, your child. And it reminds me of, uh, sort of, of wedding preparations. You spend your entire engagement preparing for one day, right? And everything, all of your thoughts, and it goes into flower arrangements, and who's going to do what? Sean did our wedding. It took a lot of planning. We did a lot to get ready for it. Uh, the, the problem, though, is the wedding day is just, I mean, just beginning, right? You just walk in the door. Now you have an entire lifetime of marriage that you've got to figure out how to do. And I was thinking about this morning as I was praying about this adoption. We, we're, just, we're so caught up in trying to get the paperwork done, and are we going to get the money in, and when is this going to happen, that really, when we go to Lesotho, and we pick her up, and we bring her into our family, we just, we're just starting. We don't really know what we're getting into, if I'm honest with you. Uh, and if we can be really honest, I mean, let's put it this way, we're a white family adapting, adopting an African baby, and we live in Southeast Asia. We've got some hard days coming. We really, if I'm honest, we do. There's, there's going to be some struggles in there. Now, praise the Lord, we do feel like this is where the Lord has led us, and we believe he's going to provide for us. He's going to give us everything we need. 
part of how he's going to do that is through the prayers of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. So as uh, you guys are praying about giving to our adoption, uh, just remember to continue praying after the adoption is complete because we're really just beginning. We have a long way to go. Uh, but as I said, we really and truly believe this is what the Lord has for us, and he's going to give us what we need. Amen? Amen. So thank you, guys. Uh, and as, as Sean mentioned, we live in, in uh, Southeast Asia in a little island, not a little island country, it's actually rather big. Uh, it is the largest uh, Muslim country in the world. Uh, over 200 million Muslims uh, live in our country. Uh, and we're blessed to live there. We love it. Uh, we actually had moved out to a neighboring country and came back. We missed it so much. Um, and so uh, we're there. I mean, I could, again, this is something I had talked a lot about. Uh, but we're there because we believe that the Great Commission, the call to go and make disciples of all nations, uh, is still the commission for the church. It has not changed. In 2,000 years, we have not completed the job we've been given. And I think that's, if I can say, I mean, I'm not the ultimate authority here, that's the biggest uh, black mark on our record as the people of God, is that 2,000 years ago, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave us a commission, and we haven't completed it. And so some years ago, my wife and I said, well, we'll do it. We'll give ourselves to it. Uh, to be honest with you, we don't know what we're doing half the time, <laughs> uh, which is true of just about anyone who has is, who is, uh, gone into missions. Um, but we believe that in some small way, we're going to have a part to play in the gospel being preached in Indonesia and churches being planted and disciples being made. I don't know exactly what our role is. We've been there for six and a half years. We're still trying to figure it out. But we do believe that God has a place for us there. And so as you're praying for our adoption, our family, you can pray for that too. Does that sound good? Is that a deal? I preach, you pray? Good. I like this trade. It's good. All right. We ready? Yeah? Okay. You want to get your Bibles out? Luke chapter 1. Luke 1. Uh, we're going we're gonna to camp out primarily in verses 5 through 25. Uh, um, so this story of, of uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth and the birth of John the Baptist and actually is like 60 plus verses in Luke 1. We're not just time. We can't do all of that in, in a 30-minute sermon. And so uh, we're just going to hit a, a couple things. Uh, and, and as you're turning there and as, as we're beginning to, to, to think about this story, which a lot of us know very well, um, the, the theme, uh, as I understood it, as, as I was given to me, was uh, don't be afraid God is working. Don't be afraid God is working. Uh, and, and it's an appropriate title uh, for this passage, for this time, this time frame that we're talking about, of the birth of Jesus, the birth of John the Baptist. Um, and so some of you have heard me teach, uh, perhaps over the years. I used to teach a lot in the training school. And... Um, one of the things I like to do when I'm looking at a passage is I try to put it <laughs> into the big story of the Bible. Uh, I'm a firm believer that from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, there is a big story that God is putting together, and he calls us into it, because we actually, believe it or not, fit into the middle of that. Um, and so where does this story come? Now, if you think about it this way, by the time that Jesus was born and John the Baptist, right, they're only a few months apart, uh, the people of God, had been living under oppression for hundreds and hundreds of years. Right? They were taken from their home, they were sent back to their home, but still under the, 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 the foot of an oppressive, evil empire. 
uh, and so that led, as you can imagine, after hundreds of years to a lot of fear, anxiety, despair, hopelessness, anger, right? And so uh, they were home, but they weren't really home. They were still exiles in their own land. And so uh, after hundreds of years of oppression, injustice, uh, as I said, many, many were, were afraid, angry, and so God intervenes, okay? Uh, you know, if you think about it this way, the Old Testament ends and the New Testament begins with these questions. When is God going to show up? He had all of these promises, right? So many promises from, from really from Genesis 3. You go back to the Garden of Eden, all the way through these promises of a Redeemer who's going to come. When is the Messiah going to come? How long is injustice going to reign? How long will evil be allowed to rule and the righteous oppressed? So these are the questions that are going through people's minds. And there's anger and despair and fear as they wait for God to show up. And he does, and we're going to get there. That's what we're, the whole season, that's what we're talking about right now. Uh, and so as we look at this passage, I want us to keep that in mind, of the, just the, the general mindset of the people. But also as we're looking at this passage, one of the first rules in my mind of reading the Bible is what does this teach us about God? What do we learn about the character of God in this? And specifically, if we want to narrow it down a little bit more, we're going to look at how does God work? When he's at work, that's the theme, right? Do not be afraid. God is working. Well, how does he work? What does it look like? So that's the, that's the question we're going to be thinking about today. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read, as I said, Luke 1, uh, starting in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of, of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision of the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. 
The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace from among the people. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, do not be afraid. God is working. We see God at work. How does God work? What is he doing? Well, let's just start with the big thing, right? He is working his big plan. Since the days of Adam and Eve, he has had a plan in place. And he has not veered from it. He told them that someone, a seed of Eve was going to crush the snake. He called Abram. And he said, through you, I will bring blessing to all nations of the earth. He called David. And he told David, I'm going to give you a son whose reign will last forever. His kingdom will know no end. Right? God has this big plan. And now he steps in, and John the Baptist has a major role to play. Right? Uh, and so this turning point in God's plan is happening right now. Uh, but here's what I find interesting about this is that these turning points, when God starts doing things in his plan, this big plan that he has, they come in unexpected times and in unexpected ways. Okay? And, and this is one of the things I love about the Christmas story as a whole, is that God did not start with the most powerful. And, and uh, Brennan mentioned this earlier when he called us to worship. Let's think about this king, this baby born in a barn, not powerful in the sense that we would think of a king, right? Just born, you know, we have uh, lambs and cows and donkeys, and you know what comes with those animals, right? Interesting smells and sights and things like that. And this is what the baby king, God in the flesh, was born into. God doesn't start with the most powerful. I think you probably already did the Mary and Joseph story, right? Okay, we don't need to go down this road again. Uh, but this is, this is an important thing, because here we might look at this and say, well, hold on, Zechariah was a religious leader, correct? He was a priest. So that is kind of like a powerful position. Uh, the truth is, not really. Think about where he's from, right? The hills of Judea. This is not a mega church pastor in a city. Honestly, if, if we were to look for a modern-day analogy here in America, I would say it's probably a small-town, bivocational pastor in the hills of West Virginia. And through him, his son is going to be the great prophet calling for the way of the Lord, preparing the way of the Lord. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a small-town pastor in West Virginia. But let's be honest. In our culture, and I'm not I mean American culture, church culture, we aren't knocking down their doors to have them write books. We're not calling them up to speak at conferences, right? And yet, this is the guy that God chose. He sends an angel to come speak to this small-town pastor and says, we're going to give you a son. And he is the one who's going to prepare the way for the Lord. Hundreds of years this prophecy has been, been waiting to be fulfilled now. And he didn't start with the high priest. He didn't start with some big-name prophet who everyone knew when he walked down the streets of Jerusalem. He picked a guy from a small town in the hills. This is how God works. Now, even with John the Baptist, you might say, but he's a hero, right? Jesus called him one of the great prophets. And, it, I, and obviously that's true. But even then, is he the sort of hero we would have drawn up? Right? Unknown parents. Where did he live his life? Out in the desert, wearing weird animal hair clothes, eating bugs, dunking people's head underwater. And in the end of his life, he gets his head chopped off. Right? Am I right? That is his story, correct? Not the hero that we would draw up. 
but it's the hero that God picks. He does not work in the ways that we would. We think, we look at our world and we see injustice, we see evil, we see unrighteousness, and it is all over. We, we can give examples, but you already know them. And, we, and yet it's so tempting to fight with the, the weapons of this world, is it not? It's so tempting to fight fire with fire, to say, no, 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 power, power, power. If only we had the right man in this position or that position or the right woman doing this and making this law and all that. And instead, God is doing things that we don't see working in unexpected ways. He has done that all along. He does not start with the most powerful. He starts with the humble, the weak, the unknown. And this is how he works his big plan. And it's not just here. It really has been that way throughout the Bible, throughout history. But another thing I love about this story is uh, he works his big plan in an unexpected way, unexpected time, and he works it whether or not we fully believe it. Okay? Zechariah, good godly man according to this passage, doesn't exactly come out of this story smelling good. right? I mean, I, I would like to think in, that I would act differently than him. I think we all would. You have an angel standing before you, tells you God's going to do something. He's like, wait a minute, prove it to me. Explain it to me, how is this going to work? Right? I'm old, my wife is old, past childbearing age. There's no way we can have a baby. As if God hadn't done this before. He has. <clears throat> As if the angel who stands in the presence of God, who's now speaking to you, is incapable of some sort of supernatural act. Right? He didn't believe it. He didn't buy it. How can I be sure of this? And yet that didn't derail God's plan. You see, I mean, now, I'm not saying it was all smooth for Zechariah. He spent the next nine months not being able to speak. Doesn't, uh, I might not mind it so much, but most of us wouldn't, okay? Yet, despite his lack of faith, God doesn't say, you know what, never mind. I'll find somebody else. He says, I'm going to do it anyway. I'll show you. He still honors him, right? Zechariah and Elizabeth are still honored by God in his plan. Even though they weren't full, or Zechariah, who knows what Elizabeth would have said. Probably much better than Zechariah, that's usually how it goes. Uh, even though he wasn't fully on board, it doesn't derail what God is doing. His plan is going to go forward. He has already decided, this is what I'm going to do. And we can sit there and say, but God, how are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? He'll say, well, I'll show you. Do you see? This is how God works. Whether or not I am fully on board, there are days in Indonesia where I think, what am I doing? I moved 10,000 miles away just to sweat all day long. That's a daily thought, by the way. That's not, a, a, that's not an occasional struggle. Sean's been there. It's hot, isn't it? What am I doing here? I don't know if I'm gifted for this. I don't know if I'm cut out for this. It probably isn't going to happen in my lifetime. Why did I do this again? I think this all the time, if I'm honest. And yet, that doesn't derail what God's plan is for Indonesia. He's going to do it. And I just want to be there when it happens. I want to put myself in a position so that when it happens, I can see how God is working. I can see the unexpected way, the thing that I wouldn't have drawn up, but he's doing, and I can say, that's what God's doing. I want to be in that position. And I know that whether or not I fully believe it today, it will happen. Because God is always working his big plan. Thousands of years, he's still doing it. And it's still working, still successful. So God is working his big plan 
right? When we look around the world, does anybody ever feel a little bit hopeless? Some fear, perhaps? Anxiety? Despair? What is God doing? Well, he is working the big plan. We don't have to be afraid. We can trust that he's working. But there's another part of this story that, that I really love. I think it reveals something uh, important about how God works. Right? That's our big question. How does he work? He works his big plan, unexpected ways, whether or not we fully believe it. Uh, but God is also working small plans, right? Little things with, quote-unquote, little people. Even amidst uh, all the big-picture issues, God doesn't forget these small things. Uh, specifically, what I, part of what I love about this story is Elizabeth. Old, I don't know how old, but past childbearing age. Uh, no children in a culture in a time when that would have been seen as very shameful. It still is actually in a lot of cultures today uh, to have no, not not to be uh, not to have a, a child. Um, and so, and we see it in her words here in verse uh, twenty-five. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, He has shown His favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now, I just want to be clear here. This is not God's perspective. She had no children, therefore she was shameful and disgraceful. That's not God's perspective. But it is the world's perspective in a lot of ways, and especially in, in this culture. And so if we can put ourselves in, in their shoes for a second, the shame of not being blessed by God. Why aren't they blessed? What did they do? Do you remember the story in John 9 when uh, Jesus encounters the, the man who had been born blind? And what do people ask him about the man? Who sinned? Who sinned that he should be born blind? Him or his parents? Somebody must be to blame. I can guarantee it. Along the way, at least one person, and probably many, asked the question, who sinned, Zechariah or Elizabeth, that she would not be blessed with a child? And you start hearing this enough, when what happens? You start to wonder. You start to think, am I at fault? Is God punishing me? I am shameful. God would have blessed me if only I had done blah, blah, blah. Fill in the blank. So here's Elizabeth, in a, in a, like I said, in, in a time and a day when not having children, I mean, the Bible is very clear. Children are a gift, and you're blessed when you have children. And she doesn't have it, and she's wondering, what is wrong with me? I am disgraceful, and it hurts, and the pain. And in the middle of saving the world and setting the, the stage for Jesus, God hears her pain. He hears her cries. He hears her prayers. All these big problems of wicked rulers and corrupt religious leaders, injustice, all of that. And God does not lose sight of one woman's pain. In the hills of Judea, she would be forgotten to history if it weren't for this story. And yet God knew her. And he knew what was going on. Right? This old woman in the hills. And in the middle of addressing the big picture, he, had, he addresses and he heals her pain. And, and so I think here, that I see two things for us in, in this part. The, there's, a, there's a comfort for us. There, I don't know how many people are in this room. There's certainly somebody in here who wonders, does anyone see what I'm going through? Does anyone see my pain? In the midst of all of these big problems right now in the world, does my pain even matter? But we see in this story how God works. 
Yes, he sees the big problems. Yes, he's working on them. Yes, he has a plan. And yes, he calls us to be a part of that plan. But he doesn't overlook the pain of individuals, whatever that might be. But I also think in here there's a challenge. And I worry sometimes about our culture, about, uh, uh, use the term generation broadly here, our generation. We love to talk big. We are a big talking generation. Right? We love to let the world know, I am for this, I am against this. And we get on Facebook or Twitter or whatever else, and we use our hashtags and we speak out against all injustice. Great, keep doing it. Please don't stop fighting those battles. But do we even recognize the old woman on the street, right, living down the road from us, who maybe was never blessed with a child? Do we see that pain? I mean, if we're going to work like God works, if we're going to align ourselves with what he's doing, we need to see those things. Right? Christmas time, joy, peace, happiness for some. Right? There are people, probably in this room, most certainly people that you know in your life, on your street, in your workplace, at your school, wherever, who Christmas time is actually painful. Right? Someone who lost a spouse or a child, they're lonely. Is anyone going to remember me? I wish I could exchange gifts this year. Right? There's somebody in your workplace, maybe a woman who's had miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage, who's in pain. Does anyone see this pain? Right? Students struggling with addiction. Right? Suicidal thoughts, I can't keep up. Okay. Prisoners in Bill Ricca wondering, does anyone notice my pain? Or their children? Does anyone notice their children's pain? And if we're going to align ourselves with the way God works, if we're going to combat the fear of our time, we need to jump in in those moments. He did not overlook the old lady. He saw it, and he brought healing. And so that's a challenge for us. It's a challenge for us that, yes, like I said, I 100% believe we need to fight injustice. I don't ever want us to stop the battle. I really don't. But if we're going to think so big and try to take care of all those problems and attack them head on, we can't overlook that there are people all around us in pain who need the healing presence of God. They need for us to show up. That's how he works. And he's calling us to join in on it. Amen? We win. And so I, I, one of the things I love about Christmas time, I feel like this uh, season ought to be a time where it's like a call for a shift. <laughs> A shift in the way we think. This is a, if you want a, a, a story in the Bible, or a collection of stories, really, that show us the way that God works and, and invites us to do the same. This is it. Right? He's always working that big plan, but he's doing it in ways we would never expect. He does not fight with the weapons of this world. He starts with these small, humble people who seemingly have nothing, nothing to give, and that's who he chooses to use to save the world. And while he's doing that, he remembers the people all around who might easily be overlooked, and he sees their pain, and he brings healing. We don't have to be afraid. He's working the big plan. He's working the small plan. He's always working. And he calls us to join him. And so as the, as the music team comes up, uh, I think maybe um, 
a couple questions just to, to get us thinking, and then and we can see where the Lord goes during, during the response time, uh, of how do we respond to the word of the Lord. And I guess part of one of my questions is, uh, are we tempted to fear? Are we tempted to despair? When we look around the world and we see problem after problem after problem, are we tempted to fear and despair? And then how do we shift the way we think? How do we shift our viewpoint so that we can see where God is working? How can we prepare ourselves to be ready when he shows up in a way we would not have guessed, we wouldn't have expected? But along with that, too, I think that there are probably people in this room, either with hurts yourself, that you're wondering if anybody sees it, or you know somebody who's in pain, who's lonely, who's afraid, and you're wondering, what do I do? Lord, what are you doing in that situation? What are you doing in that person's pain that I can align myself with your, your way of working? So I'm going to step out of the way. We're just going to seek the Lord as, the, as we can respond to what his spirit is leading in us.